If somebody was to ask you the question, what has Jesus done for you, how would you answer it? Now, I've heard some of you answer that question on Sunday nights when we do testimony time. And um, I don't want you to overlook it, to overlook those, those moments because even as I was preparing the message, even as I was getting ready to introduce it this morning, I'm thinking this very moment of some of the testimonies that, that you, have, you have given. In particular, a testimony is all about Christ. It's not about us. It's not an opportunity to glorify our sin or prop ourselves up. The focus of a testimony is about Jesus, what he has done. But in telling the story of Jesus, we, we get to tell our story because we're part of that, what, what God has done to change, change our lives. But if someone was to ask you that question, maybe a stranger, maybe somebody that, you, that didn't know your background, what, what would you say? How long would the, would the list be? What would you include in it? Where would you, where would you start? How would you, how would you share it? I, I would probably say if I was asked that question, how much time do you have, right? Frederick Lehman in his song, The Love of God, says it this way. Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. What a beautiful song. The Gospels actually are a collection of God's stories, in particular focus on Jesus Christ. But even the Gospels don't contain all of the things that Jesus did. The Gospel of John ends in chapter 21, verse 25, by saying, and there are also many other things that Jesus did which if they were written in detail, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Probably the, the inspiration for the, for the song, the, the love of God. I would say amen to that. He's done some of those things for me. He's done some of those things for you. Every believer has a story, which is all about him and all about what he has done for you. And, and through, through telling that story, God, God writes the story because of his great love, and we get to tell that story because he's met our great need. And that song and, and the end of John's gospel highlights that magnificent privilege that, that we have, our opportunity to share God's story with others, and not just a, a, an abstract story, not just information about God or what He has said, although that's important, but it's a personal story, isn't it? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. It's your story. It's the opportunity to share God's story with others. And it's, it's, to do that is to be a part of Christ's mission. And today we're going to see how a story of a single leper turns in that direction whenever he encounters Jesus. In the story, Jesus meets his need, but in doing so, this leper who is cleansed gets an opportunity to have a ministry, gets an opportunity to share in Christ's ministry. Jesus gives him the chance, this, this lone leper who's ostracized, who's separated from everyone else, Jesus gives him the opportunity to be a witness to the highest religious officials in Israel. And yet, as we'll see by the end of the story, sadly, instead of obeying, what he does is 
actually hinders the gospel witness instead of of magnifying it. So I want you to open your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. It's the very last scene in the first chapter of the gospel of, of Mark. And let's see how Mark tells this story and see what we can learn for ourselves. Mark chapter 1. Now we said Mark is a is a speedy gospel. His favorite word is immediately. And he begins with selected scenes. After he introduces Jesus as the Son of God and tells us he's going to share his gospel, we immediately end up in Galilee. And the king begins proclaiming this, this gospel, the kingdom message, calling people to repent and believe. And, and we saw that there is a kingdom call that Jesus issues. Jesus has the right to call us to follow him and has the right to tell us how to live our lives. And he does that. We see that with, with his call of the disciples. He also has kingdom authority. He has the authority over the spiritual realm. We saw that in the synagogue when he, when he commands the demons to flee and, and they flee. He also has kingdom power. And we saw that when Jesus leaves the synagogue and goes into Peter's house and he raises up Peter's mother-in-law and she immediately begins to, to serve the Lord. And all of those scenes focus on this story, the, the, the punchline, if you will, of this story. All of them are for kingdom witness. And Mark's going to highlight that purpose for us today in this story of a leper being cleansed. And you need to remember that whenever God does something in our lives, He, he does it for a reason. God is purposeful. And I know everybody says, no matter what happens, either, either, even unbelievers say, say this, well, it, it all happened for a purpose, right? Well, we are the only ones that can truly claim that because of Romans 8.28. But in our lives, when God does something in our lives, it is for a purpose. And part of that purpose is to share His story. God is moved by compassion toward our need. And when God moves, He gives us a platform to share in Christ's ministry. Our need moves God. You're going to see that in the story. And God's motivation turns into our opportunity to be part of His mission. And that's ministry. That's, that's what we do. So let's read these five verses, and then I'll give you, the, give you the outline. It says, And a leper came to Jesus, beseeching him and falling on his knees before him, saying, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing to be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. And he, that's Jesus, that sternly warned him and immediately sent him away and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your, for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. But he went out and began to proclaim it freely and spread the news around to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city, but stayed out in unpopulated areas, and they were coming to him from everywhere. Now, just five verses, very simple story, primarily focuses on two people, and yet in it, Jesus dis displays kingdom compassion and provides an example of kingdom witness. There's a lone leper in a hopeless situation. He makes a desperate request of Jesus, and Jesus is moved with compassion. And because of that, 
he answers his request and he's cleansed by, by Christ. Then he's told to use that as a witness. However, rather than obey, he's so overjoyed, he fails to follow through and instead actually becomes a distraction. And the result of this story, sadly, is that Jesus' witness is diminished instead of being magnified. And I'll show you that in the passage. The outline is pretty, pretty simple. So the theme is the opportunity that we have to be a kingdom witness. We are the leper in this story. And we have an opportunity that Christ has presented us with. And you find that the story broken down in the leopard's misery, that's in verse 40. Then the Lord's mercy in verses 41 and 42. And then finally, this cleansed man's ministry in verses 43 through 45. The opportunity to be a kingdom witness. Let's look at this leper who shows up on the scene in verse 40. Look at verse 40. It says, A leper came to Jesus, beseeching him and falling on his knees before him. And he makes a statement, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Now Mark says this, This leper comes to Jesus, and immediately he falls on his face, and he begins begging him for, for cleansing. Now out of all the lepers in Israel, we're... The Gospels only record that Jesus cleanses a few. This man, who's also recorded in the Gospel of Luke, I believe chapter 5, and also in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 8, same guy. The ten lepers, which we just mentioned in a sermon not long ago, in Luke 17. And then you might also think of Simon the leper, where they shared a meal in his house. Simon is known as the leper, meaning it was his former condition because he wouldn't have been having people in his home for lunch and inviting Jesus in if he wasn't cleansed, but he was known as the leper who had been cleansed. And leprosy was the most dreaded disease of the, of the day. You might think of it, but it was, it was incurable. I mean, we don't hear a lot about leprosy today because there's medicine uh, for that, and, and science has... Has, has, has made a lot of advancements. But, but in that day, leprosy was like, it was like AIDS or Ebola. I mean, it was, it was a dreaded, dreaded disease. There wasn't any cure. A writer that I read tried to capture the seriousness of the man's situation by describing what a diagnosis for a leper, in particular this man, uh, might have went like. And here's the way that, that he kind of narrates it. I think it's really helpful. He knew something was wrong, very wrong. He hoped if he waited long enough, it would just go away. Isn't that a typical man? Isn't that what we do? We just hope that it goes away. I hate going to the doctor. But it didn't go away. In fact, it only got worse. Soon, others started to notice that he looked pale and sickly. And he realized that he would have to take a journey to a faraway city, that would be Jerusalem, to figure out exactly what was going on. And after several days, he reached Jerusalem and was shown a room. After what seemed like several hours, the door opened, and an official-looking man entered and examined the stranger. It, it's here. He rolled up his sleeve to reveal an open, runny sore. And again, he said, it's here. And he, he slipped his collar to the side, exposing another oozing place. It's here, too. He removed his sandal where there was yet a, another nasty nodule on the top of his foot. And with that, the official jumped back with a wild look in his eyes and said to the man, I declare unto you that you are unclean. 
And he then quoted Leviticus 13, 45 through 46. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. And he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. And then he says one last sentence. May God have mercy on your soul. And at once the door slammed shut and the priest was gone. Not a very good bedside manner. But the disease is serious. It's so serious that God deals with it in his word because it's contagious and it's, it's deadly. It separated you from others. It removed you from being able to worship with God in the temple. And ultimately, it slowly kills you. It was so bad that in, in Jesus' day, the rabbis would hold a funeral for anyone that was declared unclean like this man long before they were dead. The minute they were declared unclean, the rabbi held a funeral for the family because they would never see the husband or the wife or the child again. And here's this leper who's been in this horrible condition, and he comes to Jesus. He weaves through the crowd. There's always a crowd around Jesus. He violates all the necessary standards in his desperation. He comes to Jesus, beseeching him, begging him with strong pleas. And look at what he says. If you are willing, he says this from the ground on his face, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, the leper basically says, I know you can if you choose to. Notice what he says. If you are willing, you can make me clean. This man has no doubt about Jesus' ability. The only thing he doesn't know is whether Jesus would choose to do it or not. He acknowledges God's ability, and he also acknowledges God's prerogative. He knows that God can but he also knows he doesn't have the right to demand it. Don't we do the same thing when we pray for someone else when we're healing? We say, Lord, heal them if it's your will, right? I mean, we acknowledge in that prayer God's ability or we wouldn't be asking God to do it. But we also acknowledge God's prerogative. It's the Lord's choice of whether he chooses to heal now or later. And this leper does the exact same thing. He knows God can do it, but what he doesn't know is will he do it? He knows he doesn't have the right. And that's important for you, so you, so you remember uh, not to think of God as some divine deal maker. You know the idea, God helps those who help themselves. You've heard that before, right? And God helps those who can't help themselves. I mean, that's the whole point of the gospel. He'll do for you if you'll do this for him. As somehow, some way, it's a quid pro quo. God will only move if you make the first move. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says there's none that seeks after God. There's none that understands. There's no seekers in here this morning unless you're being sought by the Lord. He's the one that sought you out. Or what you hear with the, the faith healers, or the so-called faith healers, the amount of your faith is the key to the amount of God's blessing. It's rubbish. Listen, Jesus healed all kinds of people. Jesus healed believers. He healed unbelievers. Jesus healed people who didn't believe in him. Jesus healed people who didn't show him respect. They, Jesus healed people who didn't bow down before him like this leper. He healed people that didn't worship him. He healed people that didn't call him Lord. 
He healed people whether they had faith or whether they didn't have faith. The fact that Jesus cleanses this leper, it's very clear in this passage, has nothing to do with this man's faith. It has nothing to do with his attitude or his posture. So what was it? Well, the answer is in verse 41. If you are willing, you can make me clean. What makes Christ willing? Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I am willing to be cleansed. There's the answer. There's the leper's misery. And now you see the Lord's mercy. Jesus sees his misery, this leper's misery, and for that reason alone, he extends to him his mercy. He just did the exact same thing when he saved you or when he saved me. Can you say before the Lord this morning that God saved you because he looked down and he saw something good or worthy in you? He saw the exact opposite, didn't he? He saved us out of his mercy. He looked down, he saw our desperate need... And he was moved with compassion. And so he came to us. And that's what this word means. This word compassion means that Jesus felt this man's pain. It, it means that he felt his isolation. He felt his desperation. And when Jesus sees that, that triggers something in him. It triggers compassion. Something stirs up in his heart. And there's three acts here that expresses Christ's compassion. He's, he's moved in verse 41. He's moved with compassion. He touches him with his hand. He stretches out his hand and touches him. People don't touch lepers. And then he speaks with his mouth. He said, I am willing. Be cleansed. Jesus is moved in his heart. He touches him with his hand. And he speaks to him with his mouth. Let's look at this first one. He's moved with compassion. The immediate reaction that Jesus had was compassion not condemnation. Now, we typically think the opposite, don't we? Now, think about this. We think that the first thing that God sees when he looks at us is our sin, don't we? The first thing that God sees. Now, we think the first thing he sees is our sin, our failures, or whatever it is, and God overlooks that. He jumps over that to give us mercy or love us or whatever it is. But, but did you know the Bible says just the opposite? When God, we think God's initial response when, we, when he looks at us is disappointment or anger or disgust because that's how we often feel about ourselves, and rightly so. I mean, part of salvation is self-loathing. It's realizing how bad you really are because if you don't realize how bad you really are, then you're never going to come to an end to yourself, as Stephen said earlier, and, and, then, and then see your need for, for a, a Savior. But we get it. We understand how bad we are. We live with our sins and our habits and our failures. So we know what we are. It's very normal to transfer that to God. But that, that's not what God thinks. And that's not what He feels. Because when God looks upon us, He is moved by His character. And His response is mercy long before wrath. Because God's not like a man. He's unlike us. That's what holy means. Yes, he's undefiled, but it also means he's unlike. And the Bible describes God that way many, many times, over and over and over. The Bible describes God as long what? He's long-suffering. 
which means that, that anger is not his initial reaction. It takes him a while. He suffers long until his anger is, is released. In fact, the Bible describes God as being provoked under wrath. His wrath must be kindled, which means it's not the initial reaction that, that God has. Of course, it's possible to kindle God's wrath, but it's not his standard disposition. Have you ever met somebody who's just a joy to be around? Their standard disposition. It's abnormal for them to be unhappy. Have you ever met the opposite person that looks like, the, you know, I, I, I preach with a cough drop in. It was a habit. Have you ever met a person that, that seems like that rather than have a cough drop in their mouth, it's, it's a prune? They just walk around pruny all the time. Their natural disposition they're not a, a glass half full person. They're not even a glass half empty person. They're a glass empty person. That's their natural disposition. The Lord's natural disposition is merciful and compassionate. He has to be provoked unto wrath. He's not like us. He's not looking to judge. The Bible says he's seeking to save. Oh, he will judge. He will not overlook sin. But his initial reaction toward your need and toward my need is not condemnation, it's compassion. Isn't that a beautiful thing? You want proof? When the Bible first, when God first reveals himself in the Bible, I mean, the Bible is, is the revelation of God from Genesis on. But the pinnacle revelation of God is when he defines for Moses his name. He describes, not just for Moses, but for everyone else, who he is and what he's like. This is the it, Exodus chapter 34. It's the pinnacle of God's revelation up to this point in the Bible. And when he has the opportunity to reveal himself, you remember Moses says, I want to see your glory, Lord. And the Lord passes before him, and the Lord proclaims himself to Moses. What does the Lord proclaim about himself? When God has the opportunity to proclaim who he is in all of his glory, what does he say? Well, here it is in Exodus 34, verses 6 through 7. When God first reveals himself in the Bible, listen to what he chooses to highlight. Look at what he leads with. Then the Lord passed in, in front of him, that's Moses, and he proclaimed, the Lord proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. And then he adds, at the end, and yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. You don't think it's significant of what God leads with? What's the highlight of that verse? God is holy. He won't simply pass over sin. But he's the compassionate and gracious God who would rather show mercy than wrath. That's what he leads with in dealing with us. That's what he leads with in dealing with this leper. You want more proof? It, you need proof. <laughs> because it's so unnatural for us to think about God that way. We think about God like a human being, the way we would respond. Think about how the Bible describes God. This is just a, a running list, and it's a short list. How does God, how's God presented in the Bible? He's the feast giver who invites the poor and the crippled and the lame in who have no business coming to the feast. He's the shepherd of the sheep. 
He's the groom eagerly waiting to come for his bride. He is the woman who searches diligently for a single coin. He's the shepherd who leaves the 99 to go after one lost sheep. He's the prodigal's father who shamelessly runs to meet his belligerent and sinful son. He's the merrymaking host who leads the rest of the family in service in joyful celebration over that son who was once lost. He's the, the son who came to serve rather than be served. He's the Savior who came to seek and save that which is lost. He's the restoring master who, after, who seeks Peter out after he falls, when Peter goes back to fishing, who even prepares a meal for him and recommissions him three times the same number as Peter's denial. He's the prophet Hosea in the Old Testament who keeps his covenant to an adulterous wife. And when she's cast aside by her lover, he purchases her from the slave market, covers her nakedness, takes her home, bathes her, and dresses her in the finest. That's the God of the Bible. You think that God leads with wrath? (laughs) He is wrathful, but he doesn't lead with it. And when Jesus sees you, he sees your need, and he's moved by it. And then he chooses to act. There's the movement in the heart. And then he stretches out his hand. Notice what he says. Jesus stretched out his hand and he touched him. He looks at the leper, moved with compassion, and stretches out his hand with a healing touch. That's an expression of mercy, isn't it? Now, we're not told how long this man had leprosy, but Luke tells us how bad the situation is. Luke says he was full of leprosy. It wasn't in the beginning stages. We're not told how long it had been since this man had been touched, but I would say years. He's separated. No one touches him. No one even gets close to him. They'd stay over a hundred feet away if they were if they were uh, uh, if a person was downwind from a leper. It was shorter if they were if they were upwind. This man had been touched for years, and the first one to touch him was his creator. Isn't that a beautiful thought? The undefiled one touches the untouchable and makes him clean. And Jesus then speaks with his mouth. I'm willing. I'm willing. (laughs) When you came to the Lord and asked him to save you, you're probably like me. You didn't have a fancy prayer. You may not even know. You don't even remember what you said, but but I know the attitude of your heart. Uh, You weren't demanding anything. You were saying, Lord, uh, I need you to save me. Forgive me. Cleanse me. You know the first thing that you didn't hear it audibly. You know the first thing that Jesus said, "I'm willing. I'm willing." But Lord, Lord, I don't deserve to ask you this, but if you would, I'd like to be saved. You know, Jesus said, "I'm willing. Be saved. Be cleansed." You know, this man was immediately cleansed. Look at verse 42. Here's Mark's favorite word. Immediately, the leprosy left him, and he was clean. He was cleansed. Immediately. Luke tells us, as I said, he's full of leprosy. And when Jesus heals, he doesn't just remove the disease. He makes the person whole. Now, think about this. This is leprosy. And there's medicine for leprosy today that can take away the disease. It can 
can kill the bacteria, but it but it doesn't undo the what leprosy leaves in its wake. It can't grow fingers back or noses back, but Jesus can. That's the idea behind this word. MacArthur gave this quote I thought was was very worthy. If his forehead had been worn away, if his face had been defigured, all of that disappeared in a moment. If his eyes were sunken or even absent, they're reopened, freshly created. If his eyelashes and eyebrows were gone, they suddenly were back. If, if his limbs had been worn off, if his throat had been scarred, if his fingers and toes were curled up like claws and worn away, all of this was instantly restored. Instantly. What amazing power. What a compassionate God. Now, why did the Lord do all of this? Well, he was moved by his compassion, but he's got a greater purpose. Beyond all that, he gives this man a purpose for living. Look at the cleansed man's ministry in verse 33. After he does this, this kind of seems odd. Here's the compassion of God who sternly warns him. Well, there's a reason he does that. And he immediately sends him away. And look at what he says to him in verse 44. See that you say nothing to anyone. Now, wait a minute. I thought you said, Pastor, that this man had a ministry of a witness. Yes, he does. See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. But he went out and began to proclaim it freely and spread the news around to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter the city. The Lord sees his ministry, or sees his misery, I should say. He extends to him mercy. And then notice he sends him out for ministry. This this stern warning, it's, it's authoritative. Jesus sternly charged him. The word is, is, is the word that was used for a horse snorting. Have you ever been around a horse and it sneezes or snorts and it scares you to death? Maybe get some horse snot on you at the same time. It's the idea of abrupt. It just, it, it, it's, it's arresting. It's authoritative. It was forceful. He sends him away. Literally thrusts him out of the crowd. He weaves through the crowd. Jesus says, he has compassion. He reaches and touches him. He says, I am willing to be cleansed. The man immediately is whole and Jesus thrusts him back through the crowd. And it's urgent. It's at once. He sends him away at once. And the command that he gives is quite clear. See that you say nothing to anyone. That's, that's anyone around here. But go show yourself to the priests and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded. And there's two parts to that command. Where's one negative? Say nothing to anyone. And there's two positives. Show yourself to the priest and offer what Moses commanded. Now this man who is in Galilee is told to make a journey to Jerusalem which would have taken several days, to meet with the priest, possibly the one, the same one that diagnosed him, because there was a rotation of priests that did that, and then follow what the law dictated. Why? Why did Jesus command him to do that? Why didn't he stand him up right there and say, look, here's the leper that you knew, and now I've cleansed him and made him whole. Well, Jesus has... A purpose, and the answer is right there in verse 34. Look at the end, verse 44. Look at the end. Offer for yourself 
for your cleansing what Moses commanded. Do this, show yourself an offer as a testimony, as proof. And notice what it says, to them. You notice that? To them. Who's them? That's the priests in Jerusalem. Jesus sends this man, after he cleanses him, to the priesthood in Jerusalem as a witness. And by doing so, there was a testimony. It was proof. It was a testimony. It was a witness to the highest religious leaders in the land. And the witness was, it was a testimony that Jesus was affirming the law of Moses. He didn't come to destroy it, as they would accuse him. But more importantly, it was a testimony that this man's healing, being a leper, would prove that Jesus was the one who had come to fulfill the law. It was a witnessing mission that Jesus sent him on. And when God saves us, he changes our mission, doesn't he? The leper was a testimony. Think about this. The leper was a testimony of the fall and sin's effect. When everyone looked upon that leper, they didn't think God. They thought sin. They thought curse. Because of the sickness, it was outward. And when he comes in contact with the Savior, he is transformed and becomes a testimony of the Savior's work. His leprosy was evident. Everyone could see it. His leprosy alienated him from the worship of God. He couldn't go to the temple and offer sacrifices His leprosy separated him from others. His leprosy forced him to testify of the curse. Unclean. I am unclean. That's what he was forced to testify with his mouth. But his healing was a testimony as well. God changed all of that. He wasn't just cleansed. He was made whole. His fingers restored. Physical effects were removed. His healing reinstated him to the worship of God. He was to go to the temple and make an offering. His healing restored him to fellowship with others. He was to present himself to the priests. And his healing was a platform to testify of Christ's work. He was to be a witness to the priests and then others. And when God works in our lives, it's the opportunity to do the same. You and I, who were once a testimony of the fall and sin's curse, are now transformed in a testimony of God's grace. That's our mission. When He saves us, that's our mission. When He restores a marriage, that's our mission. When the marriage isn't restored, that's our mission. When He protects us, when He chooses to heal us, He calls us to His work. And we're to see that as a platform and use it to be a testimony of his, mission, of his message. That's to be a kingdom witness. And when we don't do that, we can actually hinder. Look at verse 45. Look at how this ends. Notice how verse 45 starts. It's but. But. There's an emphasis on his disobedience. He does the opposite. But he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the news around to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city but stayed in the outer areas and unpopulated areas 
and people were coming to him. Now, if you had any question about this man's spiritual interest in Christ, it should be cleared up right here. Because once he gets what he wants and what he needs, he disobeys. He's so consumed with his own blessing that he fails to give honor to the Lord, and his disobedience has massive consequences. His disobedience eliminates the opportunity for a testimony to the priests. And when you don't follow through on what God commands you to do, when you disobey God, the Lord still may use you. The Lord's work is not doesn't fail ultimately. He just finds somebody else who's willing. But you miss an opportunity. You miss a blessing. And this man misses an opportunity to be a testimony, the first testimony to the priest. Now, Jesus has already been to the temple and has already cleansed it. He's already pronounced judgment on it. And this man was sent by Christ himself back to the temple. He doesn't have to have a seminary degree. He doesn't have to know anything. Here I am. I was a leper, and I'm cleansed, and here I'm doing exactly what you command me to do according to the, uh, the, the law of Moses. And the priest would have been the one that would have made the declaration, yeah, you're clean. I see nothing. And his disobedience in spreading the healing everywhere has a negative effect on Jesus, what he's able to do. Jesus said that he wanted to go preach the gospel in every little town and city around Galilee. But because of what this man does, Jesus can't go into the towns because people are seeking the healing rather than the healer. And instead of using the opportunity Jesus gave him, he squandered it and actually becomes a hindrance. So let me ask you again. Someone was to ask you, what has Jesus done for you? What would you say? You may not have enough paper to write it down, but that's what you spend the rest of your life sharing. It's your story to tell God's story, and nobody has it, and nobody can take it away. It's unique. And your ministry is what God's done for you, and your opportunity to engage in Christ's witness is to tell that story. I'm a redeemed drunk. I'm a bad husband whose marriage was rescued. I'm a, I'm a selfish world seeker who is pursuing the American dream. He was given the privilege to be a servant of Christ. That's my story. What's your story? What's your method to share it? You just mimic the master. First, you choose to do it. You have the ability to do it. You can, but are you willing? And Jesus says, I am willing. Are you willing? I mean, you got the opportunity, but the opportunity is meaningless unless you take the opportunity and share it. If you take the opportunity, you're moved by compassion and not condemnation. You remember yourself as the leper, not as the cleansed one when you're dealing with other lepers. You don't come in the high, exalted position. You come as Brian the leper, Simon the leper, Jim the leper, whatever it was. And that reminds you of what God saved you from, and that will help you to be moved by compassion toward people that the world sees as untouchable, that when the Lord sees, he doesn't think wrath. He thinks mercy. And then you touch them. Whether that's with what you say, with what you do, you touch the untouchable. You mimic your master. And whenever you do, 
you share in his, his witness, His mission, and you're a kingdom witness. Don't you bow your heads. What's your story? Even as I'm sitting here preaching to you this morning, no doubt, asking that question, your mind floods back to when the Lord saved you. I've shared with you the story that Glenn Matthews told one time about a lady coming forward at the end of a revival service, and she was weeping, and he thought to himself, oh, no, she just came to Christ about three years earlier, and she, he thought, oh, no, what, what sin has she fallen into? And when he began to pray with her, he asked her what was wrong, and she said, oh, Brother Glenn, I'm afraid I'm getting used to being saved. And that was her burden. Are you used to being saved? Does Jesus fail to blow you away, His grace, His mercy? Let me tell you, whenever you remember that you were the leper, it makes you more willing, more desirous. It overflows the desire to share that with with others. Are you doing that? Do you have that story? Maybe you're here this morning and you listen and you say, man, I'm the leper. I I haven't been cleansed yet. Well, let me tell you what. Jesus can and he's willing. He is. I don't care what you've done or where you've been or who you are, how long you've been in your sin. Jesus is willing. If you'll repent and receive him by faith, I'd be happy to pray with you. We have a prayer room over here whenever service is over. You don't have to question his ability or his desire. The question is, will you respond? Will you come to the one who can do for you, the only one who can do for you what you need?